I want you to think about what's the best memory that you have? What's kind of the most important memory, the, the, the best moment of your life? What were the, what were the circumstances around that? What, was, what really can make you latch onto that and see it in your mind's eye crystal clear? 2020, regardless of what your eyes really are. I want you to think about that for a second because we wanna, we're going to open the book of Romans today. And Romans, uh, I want to make a couple comments before I, I really get into it here. Uh, Romans is just kind of a titan of a book. First seven years of ministry uh, in Illinois, I, I said, I'm not going to touch Romans. It's just a little too dense. A- and as the narrative lectionary put Romans right in my path this year, I said, all right. And on my first cursory read of today's passage, which is Romans 1, 1 through 17, if you want to get there while I'm, while I'm explaining this, 1, 1 through 17, I took some cursory notes and I identified at least 10 different sermons on those 17 verses. And that's just on a cursory read. Romans is dense. And, and what we need to realize in that then is that Right now, as we come to this passage, we are not going to mine it extensively. We are not going to reach the depths of its application for our lives. We're not even going to fully identify all the theology that's going on. And it's a good reminder that what happens here, we are here to worship, and we are here to to read and to learn from the Word of God. But this moment alone, the sermon alone, the worship service alone, cannot carry the full freight of our discipleship. It can't. simply can't. A a 20 to 30 minute monologue, um, mostly, except when I get the occasional comment from, you know, family members, (laughs) can't carry that full freight. We have to be shaped, we have to be actively engaged in the Word in meaningful ways outside of the worship service. Otherwise, it doesn't do a lot. You know, if a professional musician practiced one hour a week, we wouldn't call them a professional musician. If, uh, if someone who was a professional, um, a professional in sports did just one hour a week, we wouldn't see them in the major leagues. If someone were an electrician that we hired and say, how much do you work? I work an hour a week. We'd say, really? And we'd be concerned. And so as we approach the beginning of Romans today, I want us to realize and to appreciate the fact that this doesn't carry the weight of our discipleship. It doesn't carry the freight of it. And so we need to be engaged outside of the worship service uh, if we are claiming Christ and if we are desiring to live according to the Word of God. This won't do it for us. Um, And that's a humbling thing. It's actually a freeing thing for a pastor. I think for years uh, growing up in the church, we can think about, I thought about the fact that, wow, you learn from the pastor and really that's it. And the answer is no. 
as we saw from Jesus in the Twelve, as we see uh, Paul with Barnabas and in the, in the Christian community at Antioch from last week, um, and the fact that Paul never traveled alone, we are to be engaged, we are to be related to other Christians, we are to be discipled continually, and we are to worship continually. And so, uh, we want to start this week from a position of humility, I want to, because this is a big text, and this is a, a powerful text, and to miss the application of this text for our lives, or any text for our lives, because we just treat it once, um, is a shame. The Apostle James says that uh, anyone who, uh, it's like someone who will look at themselves in the mirror and immediately forget what they look like. So, we want to come to this. That, that good memory that you have, that powerful memory, I'm going to guess that it has some different components that this text has as well. And that is that, that the gospel, which is what Paul is going to be talking about, has three different characteristics that he is going to highlight. One is that the gospel is, is personal. Two is that the gospel is practical. And three is that the gospel is powerful. You know, some of the best moments of our lives are when we are engaged with other people, or rather not engaged, because I would say one of the best moments of my life, of course, was when Katie and I were married. That was a very personal, even though it was a, a public event. It was practical as well, because it changed our lives in many, many ways, and it was a very, very powerful event. I'm going to guess that you have the same thing. So let's listen for these characteristics of the gospel as we read in Romans. Romans 1, 1 through 17. Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who as to his earthly life, his human life, was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed to be the Son of God in power by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for His name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be His holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you, so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. 
For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we come again to your word as your people, and we are thankful for the ways that you worked through the Apostle Paul, for the words that you gave to him, the way that you worked through his background and his circumstance to bring your word in a way that is powerful, that is personal to our lives and that is practical to our lives. Help us not to be caught up in the language. Help us not to be caught up in confusion, but to see your will and your purposes for our lives in these words. And strengthen my words during this time, for mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We start off by by looking, uh, did you see some of those characteristics in the text from today? The gospel is personal. One of the things that can strike us about Romans is the the flowery language, the, 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 the academic almost way that Paul presents the gospel, the way that he brings the full weight of his education and upbringing to bear on his letter to the Romans. Rome, of course, was the capital of the empire. Rome had about a million people in it, and, uh, and that was quite impressive. I mean, a city of a million people is still impressive, but this is Uh, where the first floor of five-story apartment buildings was the only place that had running water. Uh, This is in a city that doesn't have cars or public transportation. This is quite a... a, a, uh, One commentator described it, Rome in that day was kind of like a Calcutta or a Bombay. Think of it as that kind of cram jam in there and, and, and that kind of of just melting pot of different people. And so when we read Romans, we're like, oh, Paul is kind of writing for the the upper classes. He's writing for an educated audience, but that's only partially true. Paul is bringing the full weight of his education, his background to bear on his letter to the Romans, but he is also writing for, as he says, the wise and the foolish. And one of the first things that we see if, if we cut through all the academic language, is how very personal this letter is to the, to the Roman church. Did you catch the way that Paul has a warmth and affection for these people? And he hasn't even met them yet. Rome, uh, the letter to Rome was written before Paul had ever set foot in the, in the capital. And yet, Because of the gospel, because of what had happened to Paul, 
because of his connection to Jesus Christ and his connection to the other churches, you see the warmth that Paul has for these. I long to see you. You know, I I don't know that I have ever said that phrase in that way to anyone. I long to see you. When was the last? Anyone in here use that phraseology? Maybe we say it in different ways. But Paul says, I long to see you. I've been wanting to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. <coughs> because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you. The gospel is personal. And the gospel is locked up in a person as well. Right from the very beginning, Paul talks about the fact that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. Not only does he have this deep affection for the people in Rome, but he also is is a personal captive of Jesus Christ, a personal servant. And the gospel is, comes through that person of Jesus Christ. And he talks about how the fact that, that Jesus, in it, as regards to his human nature, he fulfilled what was expected. He was a descendant of David, yet he was also the Son of God. And it was demonstrated through his resurrection from the dead. The gospel is locked up in a person, and the, uh, the gospel is personal to each one of us. Paul wanted to give encouragement. Paul wanted to, uh, to speak into the Romans' lives. He wanted to be mutually encouraged. You know, it, one of the reasons that I can say the gospel is personal as well. He says, you know, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift in order to make you strong. That's a curious phrase, uh, phrase, some spiritual gift. Why wouldn't Paul say, you know, I have a spiritual gift for you. I, I, I know what I need. Well, he didn't quite know, even though he had affection for the Roman church, and even though that he had uh, been praying for them and has a desire for them to know Jesus Christ, he doesn't know them well enough yet. And so as he is writing to them, he's saying, I need to get to know you because I am sure there is some way in which I can be strengthened and you can be strengthened. We just don't know what that is yet, but I want to come there so that I can impart a spiritual gift to you to strengthen you and you can impart some spiritual gift to me to strengthen me. The gospel is personal. And we have made it, in a lot of ways, impersonal by making it private. That is, that we, we don't really talk about, because if any of us grew up in homes, what are the two things that you, you don't talk about in polite society? Religion and politics. What a fantastic scheme of the devil to not get Christians to witness, eh? I don't have to make them evil. I just have to make them shut up. (laughs) Because as we look around this room, 
I'm not the only one with a sermon. I'm not the only one who can speak to the power of God. But anyone who has had an experience of the risen Christ, as we've been talking about in these weeks, can speak to the way that God has worked in them. And I bet it's not theoretical. I bet there are actual, real ways that we can identify right now if you would stop and and think, how has the gospel transformed your life? Who have you shared that with? Paul wants to, to be mutually encouraged. He wants to meet the Roman church in person so he can get to know them and so that he can hear their stories, and so that he can be encouraged by their stories. When was the last time you thought about your story? When was the last time you thought about the way that Jesus Christ has moved in your life and has either suddenly or or over time transformed your life into something you never could have imagined? Have you thought about your story? As you consider this beginning of of Romans, as you see this, this personal aspect to the gospel, let me encourage you, take time this week. Consider what your story is. What is the, the work of God? What is the, the, the transformation in the God that could only come through the gospel that we could be encouraged by? We come to, to worship, and, and a lot of times the, the phrases get used, you know, uh, you know, I didn't get anything out of that, or I got something out of it, or, you know, I, I want to be filled up. What if the, the purpose of worship and the community coming together wasn't so that, that we could get what we need, but because we are there to strengthen and encourage others? Through the word of our testimony, you know, Revelation talks about the, the fact that the, the people overcame by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. There is someone that may need to hear the way that Christ has worked in your life. There is someone who may need to hear the way that Jesus has turned something that seemed insurmountable into something that was beautiful. There, there is someone who might need to hear the way that your brokenness was used and transformed for God's glory. Because the gospel is personal and we need each other. We need the strengthening that comes. The strengthening that comes through, through sharing those stories, through sharing life, through sharing the work of Jesus' transformation in our lives. So try that this week. If you're not comfortable yet sharing with others, if you're not comfortable saying, hey, how has Christ worked in your life this week? If you're not comfortable with, with, with digging into others' lives like that, don't worry, I'll try to get to you at some point. But also, Consider what your story is. Write it down, bullet points, journal, whatever, whatever it may be. Create a spreadsheet, I don't care. 
But what is the story of God's grace in your life? What is the story of the gospel in your life that only you can tell? Because someone might be waiting to hear that so that they can be mutually encouraged. Again, we don't have to be evil. We just have to be quiet to weaken the church. So the gospel is personal. But the gospel is also practical as well. Paul starts out at the beginning of his letter here, and it's a typical, actually, it's actually a typical Greco-Roman letter form, like we have the salutation, we have the, the date line, and so on and so forth. He's using a similar fl- form, but he adds some things in here. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be a, an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. Paul had a calling on his life. And it changed his life. It, it, it knocked him off his horse. Made him blind for a while, but then he saw. And it changed the way that Paul interacted with the world. It changed the way that, that Paul viewed his world. He went from, from being a scholar of the Hebrew Bible to being one of the foremost missionaries and going against both Jewish and Greco-Roman culture. He did not fit in quite as well anymore. Paul, he says there, I am obligated both to Greeks and to un-Greeks. What that meant was, uh, in that world, the, Greeks, the Greek culture was kind of top of the pyramid. That's where you wanted to be. And if you were not a Greek, well, that's okay. You can do something to help the Greeks. Paul said, those divisions don't exist anymore. And he lived out that way of being. There, aren't, there isn't, as we talked about in the Sunday school class this morning, there isn't us and them anymore. We can't think in terms of, 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 of that dividing line. The gospel practically tears those barriers down and makes us all one in front of Christ Jesus. And Paul shows this through his life because he will say, I had it all in my estimation. But when I met Jesus, I realized I had nothing. The gospel was practical in his life. And he says to the the Romans that it's practical in their lives too. Verse 7, To all in Rome who are loved by God, and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, Paul tells the, the Roman church that you are not, I am not the only one with a calling. You also have a calling. You are called to be God's holy people. And that has some practical effects on it, doesn't it? There's a difference between if I am just trying to live my life and make sure that, that everything in my little sphere is taken care of and I am versus being called to be God's holy people. How many of us in here today feel like God's holy people? <laughs> uh, how many people did I cut off on the way up here? 
Did I yell at my kids on the way home? Was I frustrated by something on the road? Did I, it, it, it's very easy for us to say, you know, I can come to church, I can, I can do some things, but you know what, that, that holiness thing, that's, I am not holy. Well, you're right. Um, but also here that it's not about our personal holiness. It is about the, what Paul talks about here, the righteousness, the holiness through, that comes through Christ Jesus. We're not quite there yet. It's okay. But we're headed there. And we are called to be God's holy people. What are the ways in which we are seeking in our day-to-day life to allow the gospel to be practical and to transform us into God's holy people? Galatians has a great list of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5. And if you're looking for how we might be transformed practically, you can take a look at that and say, do I embody these values of Jesus Christ in my everyday life? Do I, value, uh, do I embody love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? Do I have to go any further? But look at that and say, this, these are the values to which God has called me. These are the values to which God is, is desirous of seeing them formed in me. How do I need to change by the power of the Holy Spirit to live into my calling as God's holy people. So if you don't want to write your testimony, think that's daunting, do some self-examination and say, how am I called to be God's holy people? Boy, you're not given anything that I can hang my hat on here. I don't want to do that. It's painful. That's all right. Because as we, as we come around to it, the third point is, Yes, the gospel is personal, the gospel is practical, but if we're feeling a little bit overwhelmed by those two, we need to understand that the gospel is powerful as well. The gospel is powerful as well. You know, what is it that tells us that someone is really special? We have markers that tell us if someone is truly special. Every other year we look at the Olympic record and the world record. Every, uh, every season that we have a sport that we enjoy, we may be looking at time benchmarks. We may be looking at how many, uh, what a person's slugging percentage is. We may be looking at the Pirates record and going, oh, it's a miracle. <laughs> Lord. Glory. But the gospel is powerful. You know, one of the things that Paul says there in the early verses is that Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. You know, all joking aside, if the pirate's record this far can really get us motivated and and excited, can we consider what it is that, that God raised his own son unjustly crucified to life so that we could live with him? Glory. Does that get anyone going? Oh, man. We're in trouble. It does help. 
If we are not awed by the power of the gospel, it raised Jesus from the dead. And seated him at the right hand of the Father. It put righteousness in us and it did it without respect to who we are. Jesus' grace overcame every, every division that there would have been. Greeks, non-Greeks, wise, foolish. I'm obligated to them all because the, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. No prerequisites. No born into the right family at the right time. Boy, if I had only been born, you know, 50 years later, my, maybe my values would be different. I used to joke that my family should have been born in the Victorian era. We would have been a little bit more in line with the values. But it doesn't matter. Because the gospel has enough power to overcome them all. This is the gospel that overcame death through Jesus Christ. Do we recognize the power of the gospel in our lives? Do we recognize that we are not alone in, in working out the ends of the gospel in our life, that we are not alone in, in living out a Christian life, but Jesus in the Great Commission and here in Romans, he is with us. The gospel is powerful and can overcome anything that we put in our lives. I mentioned uh, a number of weeks ago, um, back when we were in the beginning of Matthew, talked about the fact that, that the devil, the, the word for the devil came from the Greek word meaning splitter. And the splitter wants us to doubt the power of God's gospel in our lives. Because we, th- we can get up and we can think, you know what, we can affirm intellectually that yes, the gospel is powerful enough, and then practically we get home and we say, yeah, but I've been fighting with this for years. I don't know that I can change. Those words are antithetical to the gospel. We doubt the gospel's power in our lives. We think that we're on our own, but the gospel, Jesus Christ is there by his spirit in our lives, desiring to do something. He's kind of like the kid that, come on, coach, put me in. I'm right here, just waiting. But when we leave this place, when we, we only allow the gospel to remain up here, And so often we say, you know, when it comes to the actual problems that I'm having, I don't know that it makes a difference. But it does. It does. It breaks down all those things that would separate us from God. Is there something that you feel is separating you from God? This morning? Is there something that you feel that you just can't get over in your own life? Is there a, a doubt or a sin or a, an attitude or, or, or a whatever that has been nagging at you that you feel like you just can't come overcome? The gospel can overcome that 
as well. The gospel is personal. We are called into community with one another so that we might be mutually encouraged. I am encouraged so often when I hear the stories of your faith. You have no idea how much those matter to me. And they matter to others as well. The gospel is practical. It changes lives, not just in the people called to to advance the the gospel, either through uh, worldwide evangelism or professional ministry, vocational ministry, I should say, but to each one of us who is here, it is practical. We are called to be saints. And the gospel is powerful. It can overcome any doubt in our lives. Anything that we believe would separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the the message. That is one sermon out of these verses. But let's pray that, that it is one that allows us to see the power of God in our lives and to live more faithfully for Him. Let's pray. Lord, you are beyond our comprehension. You are beyond anything that we could understand. Your grace has a depth that we cannot plumb. Help us to see the the gospel in our lives. Help us to see the ways that your spirit is moving in us, desiring for us to be conformed more and more to the likeness of your son. Remind us moment by moment that we are your holy people and that you can strengthen us to become who you have called us to be. We thank you, Lord, and we love you for who you are and what you have done in our lives. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.